0: Finding clients is the biggest challenge that most copywriters face. When we first start out our businesses, we run through all of our warm connections, telling them what we do, who we do it for, and the problem that we solve for them, or at least that's what we should be telling everyone so they can help us spread the word. And that usually results in a client or two. But when those warm connections dry up, it can be tough. It can be really hard to find clients. How can you make it easier for clients to find you? This episode will help you, especially if you want to show up every time that your client searches for help online. Hi, I'm Rob Marsh, one of the founders of the Copywriter Club, and on today's episode of the Copywriter Club podcast, I interviewed marketing strategist, copywriter, and founder of The Click, Russ Henneberry. Sorry, no cure on this interview today. She was double booked. But Russ and I talked in depth about attracting clients, how AI is changing the way people search, and what you need to do to make sure that you stay on top of those changes. This isn't about using AI to write copy or anything like that, but literally ai is going to change the way that people find you and i think this is really important so stay tuned for that and we also talked a little bit about using a newsletter as the base for your business as the entry-level product but before we get to that interview this episode of the copywriter club podcast is brought to you by the copywriter underground you've heard me talk about the copywriter underground for the last few weeks it really is the best membership for copywriters marketers content writers who are in those growth stages of their business, either starting out or uh, launching new products, finding better, higher paying clients. This is the place to do it. Let me just give you a sense of what you get for $87 a month. First, There is a monthly group coaching call with Kira and me where you can get answers to all of your questions, advice for overcoming any business or client or writing challenge that you might have. There are weekly copy critiques where we give you feedback on your copy or your content. Those happen every Wednesday and people show up with the copy that they've written for their clients, that they've written for their own business, and sometimes even copy that they've been hired to rewrite and they want ideas of how to approach it. We are adding a new monthly AI tool review where we're going to share a new tool or technique or a prompt that you can use AI to get more done. I just shared with the think tank a massive prompt that I created for writing bullets, uh, all kinds of different bullets, and the results that I got back were really amazing, really surprising. We may share that very soon here in the Underground. And that's on top of the massive library of training and templates that are already in there. Everything from how to write proposals to how to uh, conduct a sales call. There's an entire course on sales training that you get free of charge. It's all included. And the community of copywriters in the underground is amazing. People who are just ready to help you with anything from accountability to sharing leads uh, it's a great place to be as a copywriter. You can find out more at thecopywriterclub.com forward slash TCU. And with that, let's get to our interview with Russ.
1: Oh, so how far should I go back? I mean, I, I, I used to be a teacher my first life, and I, I left the teaching industry and somehow ended up sort of back in it because I feel like, you know, marketing is teaching in a lot of ways, selling is teaching. Um, but after I, I was a teacher, um, I launched a business and this was back when the internet was just getting started because I've been around for longer than I'd like to admit in this business, but you know, the internet was getting started. So I built a website and I never really got that first business off the ground. Uh, but I did start getting really fascinated by digital marketing. So, um, I started to study sort of everything that was going on, uh, as the internet was growing up and. We started to see uh, search engines emerge and uh, ad networks are emerging online. And uh, we were seeing social networks then came around and lots of uh, content being added to the Internet. And uh, so it was sort of that heyday of that. And I was sort of just feeling my way along, just like everybody else. You know, I was blogging and uh, podcasting, creating content um, and just kind of getting my name out there. Um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of the genesis of my Spider-Man story.
0: (laughs) So what, what was it about the first business that didn't get off the ground? Uh, you know, obviously, uh, and I think a lot of us went through this, you know, launching that business and having to figure out how to make a business that's not taking off is maybe the kernel for a lot of, you know, figuring this stuff out. But you know, what, what was the thing that was, that was holding it back? And then how did you like turn that into a win and do the next thing.
1: Right. So, so that business was a fundraising company for schools because I knew schools, I was coming out of being a teacher. Uh, I didn't really have any idea how to run a a company or a business, but I had sort of some instincts when it came to the marketing side. So I started, uh, I was selling to sort of a difficult group of people to sell to because, Schools can be quite bureaucratic, right? So they have to have everybody sign off on something. So the sales cycle was really, really long. Um, But, you know, I did some things. I was doing direct mail at that time. I was using email because email was a thing back then. And I had built myself a very, very simple website with all the information on it. Um, But the thing that was just so difficult was that long sales cycle um, and I just didn't have the chops and the capital or anything to sort of last it out. But during that time, one of the prizes that I used to give to the schools when they would sell my products, I would actually reward the instructors, the teachers in the classrooms by giving them books for their classroom. So instead of incentivizing the students uh, or in, in addition to incentivizing the students to sell my product. As a fundraiser, I would incentivize the teachers to get involved as well by rewarding them with classroom books, like trade books, like The Outsiders or, you know, Judy Bloom stuff, stuff like that. And I partnered with a book company here in St. Louis, where I live, that sells trade books to buy those books wholesale. And as I was working that deal, and he watched me kind of floundering around as a young business person at that time, he said, how's this going for you? And I said, well, I got to tell you, you know, it's just me and I'm running around, I'm hustling, I'm going in and out of buildings, I'm sending a lot of mail. um, But these, these schools are hard to get into. And, um, and he said, well, how about you come work for me? You know? And so, you know, I was 25 or something like that at the time. And I said, well, how about you put me through MBA school and then I'll, I'll come work for you. And he said, all right, well, you know, I'll pay for your MBA. And you come down here and work for me. And he actually put me to work as a uh, direct mail person because I was doing a lot of direct mail at that time. Um, and they were, do- they were selling through catalogs. But it was really the digital side of his business that I got more interested in even than the direct mail side. Uh, because again, the internet was new. He had a website. Uh, and I was learning all these things about digital and bringing those to meetings and we were applying them and I was learning about SEO and about paid traffic and you know all the things that, that the internet was at, at that young stage. And um, yeah, I, I worked for him for two and a half years or something like that as I went through my MBA. And then I left there and went to work for a company called Network Solutions, which was the first company uh, in the United States that was allowed to sell domain names. I worked in their SEO department. I was a supervisor over like 20 SEO developers. And we had like a thousand projects going at one time. And, you know, I learned a lot there. Um, And so, you know, it was pretty much when I left that book company, I knew like my path was towards digital marketing. Um, And, you know, I, I discovered copywriting and content marketing along that journey. Right. Because, you know, when i was learning seo uh i i started to learn that there at that time there was ways of tricking people onto websites uh with bad content uh you know you in fact it could be really horrible it's just uh, it was just a very early day of the search engine when when the search engine was not very sophisticated and we could trick it all the time but i i started to realize that you know Some of the richest people in the world are paying some of the smartest people in the world to figure out how to make these search engines work better. And I was betting on these MIT grads that were fixing these algorithms. And I started to say, guys, long term, you're going to need to learn content marketing if you're going to be a good SEO person. Uh, Long term, you're going to need to learn copywriting and how to be, how to understand the written word if you're going to win. You can't just trick people onto pages that have really really poor content that's that's not going to work long term and and it's, of course it hasn't right you know the the war between google and the spammers we know who won that right so now we're we're right where we probably should be where good content works good sales messaging positioning all of that stuff true seo works better uh our only thing that works these days you know
0: yeah, so okay, uh, so while we're talking about SEO here, you know, Justin Blackman introduced us, and when he did, he he, I think part of that introduction was something like, uh, you know, Russ is the the number one, you know, for all of this stuff, and I want you know someday to be, uh, you know, as dialed in SEO wise as Russ is, and I immediately I went and looked, and uh, I, I was amazed. I'm like, you're the number one for probably every search term that you want to be number one for. Maybe maybe that's a slight exaggeration. Uh, but as I saw that, I thought, okay, a lot of people listening to the Copywriter Club podcast would love to own a search term, or at least come up you know, as one of the say top two or three for their niche or for the deliverable that they work on. And so I'm hoping that we can spend some time just diving into what that takes today. And I know before we started recording, you mentioned AI is kind of changing the game. Uh, you know, obviously, Google's implemented all kinds of AI into, not not even into just their, uh, their tools, but like the algorithm now runs AI a little bit. And, and I've heard rumors that even Google doesn't know what the algorithm is calculating, you know, for rankings, uh, whether or not that's true, I, I'm not sure. But let's talk about this stuff and how can we... Yeah, I make some progress as far as getting discovered organically online.
1: Yeah, and so we can get to the to the AI stuff. The the thing that's changing with AI is our search behavior, and it's ha- it's happening slower than I thought, but uh, it it will happen. Um, the way I use artificial intelligence today, for example, is the way I think we're all going to start using it, which is to, to say that we will skip going to the regular Google experience that we're used to and instead ask our AI friend the question like, you know, what's the average temperature in Iceland during the summer, right? Like we could ask, yes, ask the AI that question, it just pops it right back in. you don't go punch it into search engine and then click on a link and then go look at a page. Like uh, that's how the search experience is, is going to change, um, which has implications for all of us. But it's happening very slowly. There's, you know, regular old, good old trustees search the way that it's always been done is still a very important part of the traffic mix and something that you should be looking at. What I tell um, people that are service providers of providing, say, freelance copywriting services or things like that um, is to create a you know separate web page on, on your site for each service that you offer. Um, and make that page very thorough about uh, you know what your process is, providing proof and testimonials. So all the things that you know about creating a a good sales page that you learn from copywriting, translate that over into SEO. So like SEO is just you know you know SEO is a, is is the uh, sister to any content writing like that. You just uh, want to take that those pages that you're creating and then apply on-page SEO to those pages. And we don't have to go into what on-page SEO is. There's a million free YouTube videos or blog posts you can go read to, to understand how to adjust a page for on-page SEO, but it really is kind of that simple, When it, in, in, uh, which is to say, if you're a copywriter and you write, Let's say you have different project types like white papers, maybe you write lead magnets, sales pages, and you do that across three different industries. So maybe you're in finance and you're in health and wellness and you're in automotive or something. I don't know. But you would create a separate page for each one of those. So white papers in the medical space or white papers and, you know, and, and create a page that's about that for that niche, because that makes that page very specific. And people can actually discover you when they're looking for that precise thing. You know, so I'm looking for somebody in the finance niche that writes white papers. Okay, well, that page has a chance of showing up um, for that. And, that. and if you specialize in a location, you know, make that clear on the website. And again, all you got to do is, is look at basic on-page SEO um, and apply those things to those pages. Um, and then you have a chance of being discovered through search engines.
0: What, uh, what role does link building play today? I've, I've heard it's getting less important, but it, that feels to me like it might be more rumor than actuality. And does the, does the normal business person who you know, is trying to survive by writing content or copy, do they stand a chance when it comes to link building or should we be partnering for that kind of stuff?
1: Well, so yeah, it's important and no i don't think it's become less important um, you know it's changed quite a bit over the years as google and other search engines have become more sophisticated but if we back up and understand where the concept of link building came from it's really why google became google because if you go back to back in the days when i was getting started you know the first search engines that we were optimizing were things, or looking to get traffic from was not google actually it was like lycos and Ask Jeeves and, you know, Alta Vista and these old search engines that are really not even around anymore, but they were they were not sophisticated at all. And Google came along. And so, you know, what I mean when I say they were not sophisticated is, is to say that the results that they were giving us as searchers, like if I was looking for the average temperature of Iceland in the summer, I would you would get a lot of spam in there. So you'd click on something and it would be a really horrible experience. And, you know, so search engines were just not very good at at doing what they were promising to do. Um, And Google came in and they said, okay, so what I'm seeing is a, is a wide open space here. How can we figure out what the most valuable pages are on online, right? Like how do, how would we know? And how do we know what a page is relevant for? And so, What they started to do is rather than look on the page or on the website, they looked at the rest of the internet. And they said, who's pointing at that page with a link? And what they started to call is like basically link popularity, right? In other words, a link to a page was a vote for that page's popularity or that or the quality of that page. So rather than just looking at the, the content on the page like these more uh unsophisticated search engines were doing Google came in and took over the show by saying, no, no, no. The biggest part of our algorithm is going to be what's going on off the site. And as SEO people at that time, we started to panic a little bit because it was like, Whoa, um, how do we, how do we work with that? How do we get other people to point links at our pages? And so, of course, we figured that out during that those days. Like we we started to create all kinds of uh, different ways of acquiring links for our clients and for our own stuff um, that were not going with Google's terms of service. Right? Like Google did not want us doing what we were doing, but we were building things like link farms and buying links and uh, doing all kinds of shady things to try to get links that would point at pages so that they would have a better chance of ranking in the search engines. And it worked like you just, you could go out there and buy a hundred links for a client. You put the money in the links that get placed and boom, there you go. You're, you're ranking because Google was not yet as sophisticated as it is now. Um, today they, they crush all that link spam, you know, before it even gets started. Right. So there really is, you know, gone are the days where we can go and buy links and, uh, place links and comments. I mean, we were doing all kinds of crazy stuff back then. And, you know, uh, it was like sort of the wild West back then, but like today, you have to be building quality experiences online. That's, and that's good news for your people. Like the people that are learning to write and create content and copy from you, um, are learning a very extremely valuable, uh, skill because, it's those that can create better copy, better content, better experiences on pages that, that businesses need the most right now. They need people that actually know how to produce good content and good copy. Um, whereas before we would hire anybody to create any sort of drivel because it really didn't matter what went on the page as long as it had keywords stuffed in it and all this other stuff. So when you're learning true copywriting true true content marketing, all that stuff, you're learning an extremely valuable skill. But still to this day, Google operates by looking at the exterior of what's going on around the outside of the site. So link building, quote unquote, link building is important. So for example, this podcast interview is a good chance for me to pick up a link from you to my site um, because you're interviewing me. So it's like, when you go to put your show notes up for this podcast, it probably makes sense for you to put a link to my site there. And that'll be a an, an actual natural link from you to me. It's a vote for you to say like, hey, Russ knows what he's talking about. You should go listen to what he's doing. It's a, and it, it adds to my link popularity. So the biggest thing, I think, is to start looking for opportunities to get real, actual, natural links, you know, and doing interviews and, and those kinds of things. I don't just do it to get links, I do, but it is one of those side effects of publishing information and being out there on the internet and, and hustling and, and learning new things and having people that want to point to me and say, hey, that guy's kind of cool, you know? And so understanding, sometimes just the awareness of understanding that the amount of times you're mentioned around the web um, is increasing your chances of being discovered by search engines
0: yeah and and so if that's the goal and i mean it should be our goal at least you know to be found how much of that should we be doing on our own sites as well so for instance you know we're recording this podcast um would you ever you know want to take a blurb of it uh, and post it on your own website and say, "Hey, you know, this is stuff that I shared on a particular podcast. It's really good." And hope that that also attracts in links. Or are you writing, you know, what they call skyscraper content or wagon wheel content, and like all of that stuff? How often should we be doing it, or should we be doing it at all? Um, are there some people that should, or maybe businesses that really shouldn't worry about that? Like, what? How would we think through our own? Uh, content strategies on our own websites.
1: In the simplest terms, I'd like to, I'd like to introduce, like, when you think about your publishing frequency and cadence and length and all that stuff that you're going to do on your site, I would ask you to to ask a sort of binary question. Are you going to be a publisher? In other words, are you going to operate like a media company where, you know, If you are, look at the space that you're in and figure out like what does it look like to be a media company in your space. So if, it, if I was just going to, in the general digital marketing space, if I was going to operate as a publisher, as a media operation, I need to be publishing multiple times a day. If I'm going to be keeping up with Digiday and Ad Age and other people that publish the same sort of content that I talk about, I would need in order to be a publisher, I would need to be doing a lot. of, And I would probably need to be staying up with trendy topics and staying on top and maybe reporting the news. Right. Like this is happening at Google. This is happening over at Facebook. Like this is these changes are happening in the digital marketing space and publishing often and also not super involved copying content. It's just, you know, publishing more frequently. I would guess that most people that are listening to this don't you know aren't aren't that, right? Yeah, so that sounds like,
0: exhausting to me.
1: Well, because think about what the what the what the business model of a publisher is is either selling the actual uh, script subscription to the content itself. So it's like 20 bucks a month you get access to this content. So that's one way to monetize that. The other way to monetize it, that sort of model is to sell advertising. So you get a lot of traffic in and you sell, you sell access to, to your audience, to other people. That's advertising. Most of us are not in that business model, right? So you can build a business that's a publishing company and you can go and monetize through subscription revenue and advertising. My guess is most of your people are selling services or even maybe information products, right? Might, might be selling courses and things like that. If that's the case, I would recommend publishing less often, more involved content. So, employing something like a skyscraper technique that you mentioned earlier, and again, you can Google that, and there's plenty of information out there about how to build skyscraper posts. But essentially, what you're talking about is thoroughness, right? Depth of coverage, right? Like, you're talking about things that are probably not newsy, right? Like, this didn't just happen, and I'm reporting that it happened. Instead, I'm being very, very involved about you know, something about, uh, that you want to be ranking for, if it's search, uh, you would want to be building something thorough rather than publishing frequently. So maybe you're publishing something like twice a month, but it's very, very thorough content and copy. Um, that would be my recommendation for most people out there that are in services or selling information products.
0: Okay. So before we leave this topic, uh, you know, I mentioned how well you you show up, you know, in SEO, there are other things that we need to be thinking about as service providers, copywriters, content writers that we can do so that when somebody types in, you know, and I, this is probably not going to happen for, you know, all but maybe two or three people, but copywriter or, uh, you know, SaaS copywriter or, you know, copywriter for courses or whatever that we are the ones that are showing up in addition to what we've been talking about.
1: From a SEO standpoint. So what I want you to think about though, is that search is one traffic channel right. that you can be thinking about. And you can certainly, you know, if you want to rank for uh Cop, uh, copy, SAS copywriter in Seattle, Washington, right? You would go and apply on page SEO to your site and probably build a page that's dedicated to that keyword. So it's all about being a SAS copywriter and in Seattle and all those things, right? And, and you would apply on page SEO. The second way to go get that traffic from a search engine is to go buy that traffic. So you would buy that keyword using something like Google ads. Um, You know, you just pay to play. So, you know, you can buy those clicks, you can go earn those clicks. I would recommend that you do both.
0: Makes sense, okay. Um, let's also talk about AI. You mentioned that AI is changing search behavior. Um, how? What else is it doing as far as you know SEO goes, and the impacts that it's having on us getting found?
1: Well, and again, you know what's what's going to happen as Google continues to integrate AI and Bard into its actual search experience and. People are using ChatGPT, and and you're seeing ChatGPT and other models that are coming in behind it uh, being integrated into every tool that we're using. Like, you know, like I use Notion to manage projects, and AI is built into Notion now. I use Kajabi to handle my course material and stuff like that. AI is built in there. My landing page software, AI is built into there. And so, everything, you know, everybody is starting to integrate ai and and search is going to be the same. the The question is how long will it take the average person, the the, the the sort of not early adopters, but you know people that come in right behind that, the bulk of us, to change our behavior to understand that it's much quicker and easier for us to simply query an AI for most of the things that we're looking for. Rather than go search Google and then sort through results and then click and then find the answer somewhere on that page, um, that's the sort of behavior change that we're going to see. So that's on the search side, like the user behavior is going to change as we go along here. So, what that means, if, if we break it into those two parts, and then there's the part of uh, actually applying content marketing and SEO and stuff like that. Let's go up first with how people are search behavior is changing and what that means for us. So being discovered, it means that we need to be. So, for for example, if you go on to ChatGPT and you say write a bio of Russ Henneberry. There's enough content out there on the Internet that ChatGPT has already brought up into its mega mind when it when it sucked up the Internet, that it's able to write a bio that's fairly accurate for me. Just when I say it, so it knows who I am, in other words, right? It's able, it has discovered me. And if somebody said, said something to the AI like, does Russ Hanaberry do speaking engagements? It would, it would be able to answer that question. So if you apply that to any brand, right? This brand just happens to be me and a personal brand. But any brand you're representing with your clients, the, uh, the content and copy that you're creating is becoming even more important because as these AI continue to crawl the internet and pull that information in, remember that the AI isn't necessarily thinking on its own. It is only taking in what we've already put out there. So that means content marketing has become even more important, particularly, particularly around the brands that you represent. So to make it easy, if we're thinking about, uh, Trek bicycles, right? And if Trek bicycle releases a new safety feature for their bicycles and we don't put any content or copy on the internet about it, anything thorough enough for the AI to actually sink its teeth into and understand what the update has been to these bicycles in the safety area. And then you take a searcher who goes online and says, what's the safest bicycles out there? Uh, what sort of safety features does Trek bicycles use? It just doesn't know the answer. Is that making sense?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In fact, as you talk about this, um, it, it it's making me think like there are people who are recommending that we prevent AI bots or, or spiders from crawling our content because, you know, we want to protect this. It's our IP and we don't want it out there. And the trade-off of that is... If we do that, we actually are limiting our ability to be discovered through an AI engine. So, and, and I, I, there's not really a right or wrong answer here. Like you may have content that you want to protect and you don't want out there, uh, but you also want to get discovered. Like there, it's, there's a dance here where we need to kind of think through how do we put enough out there? Um, because if you're right, uh, and I think you are, you know, if AI sort of becomes the default search here in the next two to three years, I want a ton of stuff about Rob Marsh out there because I want to be found, but I might not want my secret sauce out there. And so you, you uh, this isn't really a question as much as you're just getting my brain rolling around some of the impacts of of these changes. It's interesting, right? And I
1: think publishers, for example, in the New York Times, right? The New York Times doesn't want us going to ChatGPT saying what happened in Israel today, right? And then they go and pull off the New York Times reporting. They, they paid all the journalists to go get that story, right? They publish it out there and then ChatGPT just slurps it up and feeds it to me over in another channel. And 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 again, they're they're running on advertising. So it makes 100% sense for publishers, as we talked about earlier, those that sell advertising and subscription, for them to be very protective of not letting bots in. And there, as you said, I agree 100%. There could be other things with other types of business models where you want to protect certain areas of your site but that's absolutely the case i mean if if you release a new product and you don't put you don't and you either put stuff online about it and then block ai bots or you put stuff or you don't put enough out there the bot just doesn't have enough to reply so you want to be feeding the ai what you want to show up in your search results when people use the ai i mean a few things are converging here you know you've got you've got voice search which has already been a thing but it's not really become mainstream like using your phone as a voice search engine or using your alexa or whatever it is you have at home as voice search so you instead you ask your your phone like what are the safest bicycles out there right and and or or you ask your alexa at home well when ai gets incorporated into this voice search that's when we're going to start seeing this really go mainstream because it's going to be like i mean imagine if you've played with chat gpt out there guys like you probably know how much smarter it is than alexa or siri and so it's just a matter of time before our alexas and siri become ai's right and they're able to answer up the way that chat gpt or bard can and yeah, it's going to be important for content to be produced for that, for that AI bot to slurp up and then return back to people via voice search or text search or however else we're going to figure out to deliver search results.
0: Yeah, there's there's an opportunity out there for somebody to figure out what does that uh content plan strategy look like, you know, so that you know, we can start getting that stuff out there so that we're we're found ultimately. Uh it'll be interesting to see how that that all builds yeah. and develops. And just
1: one more thing on that, Rob, is that is that we break search into two buckets a lot of times. So search keywords so the keywords that are typed into google as we know it google as that we experienced it the 10 blue links that come up right let's just break the two types of things that we type into those as keywords into two buckets one is unbranded search so that would be an example of the example would be what are the safest bicycles available that's an unbranded search there's no brands in that keyword phrase the second sort of search is What safety features does Trek Bicycle have, right? That's a branded query or search keyword phrase. And it's going to be those branded ones, those branded keyword phrases that your clients need to be looking at first. Because if somebody's out there asking about, you know, Rob Marsh, Russ Henneberry, Trek Bikes, whatever it is, it's go. You know, you got to realize that the AI is can only go off of what is already out there on the internet that it's seen, and if you're not controlling that conversation for your clients, who is, right? Because somebody else could control the information that is being slurped up by these AI, right? So uh, Schwinn bikes can go control what Trek bikes information is out there because Trek failed to actually act. And hire a writer like you guys to go out there and produce this
0: copy and content. Yeah, that's a really good point. You, you've got me thinking about a lot of a lot of stuff that may take a few days to gel. Okay, so um, let's let's maybe leave the topic of SEO just a little bit because that's just one way to get found by clients. And I think you've got some other thoughts around. Um, you know, connecting with clients, the the messaging that attracts them and and how we sell clients, you know, or, or attract them into our businesses. Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, what else do you recommend sole proprietors like copywriters, content writers be doing to attract those clients to our businesses?
1: Right. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things we learn copywriting and then sometimes we look at our own stuff and we say, whoa, like we're not following basic principles of, of selling and copywriting. And you know, sort of rule number one is that we speak to people about the outcomes that they're looking for. So rather than when we're, when we're talking to clients or building messaging around what you do and what you offer, be careful that you're not positioning yourself as somebody that creates blog posts or white papers or lead magnets or block, you know, whatever the content is that you produce. Instead, position it more as the outcome that you produce awareness, leads, sales, and retention. So it, it what I'll tell you is that every marketing problem out there either falls on, it falls into one of those four buckets, awareness, lead generation, sales, or retention. So if you're talking to a client and they're saying things like, man, if people just knew who we were, we got the best product out there. They're, they're having an awareness problem, right? And you can sort of tag it as that. And you can say, well, I know how to produce awareness. Like I know how to get more eyeballs on what you're doing. They don't care if it's the, with those, how those eyeballs are coming in necessarily. That would be more explaining the features of what you do. So we create blog content or we create podcast ideas for you, or we write video scripts or whatever it is that you do as a result. But really what that person's looking for, if you listen to that pain, that pain is pointing to an awareness problem. And You'll hear clients saying all kinds of things and you can typically, you know, typically map it back to awareness, lead generation, sales or retention as the issue, retaining the customers that you already have. Um, And there's different types of copy and content projects that work for those different four buckets, because a blog like creating a blog strategy or creating, you know, getting on a retainer and doing like 10 blog posts a month for a client. Uh, is not going to solve their retention issue or it's not going to solve their sales issue, right? There are other, you know, and it, you know, it could help. It's not going to hurt it, but it's certainly not the right, you know, type of project to execute when your client is throwing their hands up in the air and saying, I don't know, we're getting lots of traffic to these to these product pages and these sales pages, but we don't get any sales. Well, that's a sales problem. You need to be creating better product pages, sales letters, you know, that kind of thing, or maybe fixing the advertising that's pulling that traffic in to start with. But, you know, I, I talk about this concept of being a, if being a doctor when you're dealing with your client, when you're talking to people like as a client, you know, that, what does a doctor do? A doctor, you come into their office and they say, so what brought you in here today? Right? Because if there's somebody talking to you, a business owner, I, I'm sure you're a lovely person, but they're not there for their own fun they're there because they have a pain just like you would that's the reason why you go to your doctor and you say well doc my elbow hurts right my elbow hurts. and what's the doctor do the doctor starts to diagnose and this is selling right this is selling in a nutshell for me is now i start to diagnose well, what brought you in here today well uh you know i don't know we're we've got this great product Nobody It's the same as them starting to talk about that elbow. Right. And you're going to ask the question, just probing questions. You're trying to diagnose the problem. And there's four major diagnoses, awareness, lead generation, sales and retention. So if you can pull them down and understand, like, okay, I see the type of problem that you have. It's a retention problem. You're getting lots of returns. You're getting bad reviews. You're you know, or uh, your customers buy, but then they cancel. Right. There are different types of copy projects that you can prescribe. So just like a doctor at the end of the visit says, "Okay, I've asked the questions and now I'm ready to prescribe. And they take out their thing and they say, take these two of these and call me in the morning. Right. And that's the same way we want to use sell as as copywriters and content creators is, is to is to diagnose and prescribe. And so that's that's how I approach anybody that's having a conversation with me, and just like a doctor, sometimes you might say, "Okay, I see what your problem is now, and I don't do that. You need to go see a specialist. This person specializes in fixing retention issues, or this person." And that's how we build a referral network, right? We find other people that. Have that do similar things to us, but not what we want to do or what we what we like to do or what we're good at, and so we build a referral network. You say, go talk to that person about white papers. Go talk to this person about sales pages. I'm the front end content guy, right? I I drive awareness. I'm really good at that. I I, I write e commerce product pages, and so if you diagnose and at the end you say you need to go see a specialist, that's okay, right? That's absolutely okay. And the way that I approach. My networking and my referral network is to find people that do complimentary things to me. And when I find somebody that that's a better fit for them, I kick them over there. And when they find the people that's a good fit for me, they kick them my way. So it works really well like that.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a smart approach. So as you go through this, are you, and maybe it's different for everybody, but in your business, do you have specific packages that you're selling people into? Or are you taking the diagnosis to the point where it's like every disease every problem every pain is different and it's gonna require something a little bit different and I'm gonna put something together on the fly for you individually how do you approach that
1: so that's a great question and I think it's I think it's smart and it, I think it's unrealistic to think that you can create packages when you're just getting started because you you're kind of feeling your way you know you're trying to you're playing with some different skills trying to figure out what you like to do um, maybe figuring out what niche you want to be in and things like that. But as you start to get traction, you'll probably find that you're doing a certain thing over and over again. And that kind of like for me, when I first got started, I uh, I ended up picking up one attorney as a client and then he referred me to another attorney and then that guy referred me to another attorney. And the next thing I knew I was an attorney lawyer or marketer. Like I was marketing all kinds of attorneys and then, Sort of closely related to that, I ended up getting financial planners involved because they were sort of professional services and similar, and then insurance. And after a while, I started to realize like I can productize this service, right? I can take this service that has this, I always seem to sort of be reinventing every time I talk to a client, and I can productize it. And I think there's a lot of value in productizing a service. What it does is it gives you the the advantages of products over services. One of the things that's a weakness of a service is that we typically pay for it after it's been completed. So you go get your haircut, you pay after. you go have your roof done, you pay after. you know you somebody comes shovels your driveway, you don't pay them, then they shovel the driveway, they shovel the driveway, then you pay them. Well when you productize a service, in other words, put some very specific outcomes and deliverables, around what you do. You can put a price tag on that. You can, and and you can start to pick up efficiency because you're doing a similar thing over and over again. And on top of that, you can charge in front of at least half, I would say is what I recommend, uh, before you ever get started working. You can, because it, because it's more, there's more of a box around what you do. And so I, I really do recommend that once you start to feel your way and you start to get a sense of what you want to do, because there is so much opportunity in this space, which is one of the things that makes it so great, but can also paralyze us a little bit. But you know, once you kind of get a sense of what you want to do, I would recommend building a product around your service, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, definitely makes sense. And then uh, how do you think about pricing that as well? Uh, I mean, you know, in, in the world that you live in and, and in SEO, I mean, prices range from, you know, $6 for a 500 word blog post to literally thousands, tens of thousands of dollars for content strategies and, and ongoing support. So how do you think about pricing your services or how should we be thinking about, you know, where we fit in in that uh, spectrum and the value that we offer to our clients?
1: Well, the easy thing for me to tell you, the cop out answer is to say go up, go up market and premium price, right? And I do recommend that. I absolutely recommend that you do that. But as you've said, Rob, I mean, there's, it's not like the price of milk, right? We go to the store and milk is, let's say, five dollars here. We go to the next store, it's six dollars. You to know, the store, it's four fifty. They're all pretty close in price. In 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 our business you could have somebody that will charge for you know 1% of what you are charging for what looks like the same outcome uh, you know they're promising the same thing and they're undercutting you by an insane amount like somebody's charging $100 for something you need to charge $1000 for or something like that right and it, i i do recommend you work towards going to premium pricing. And really when I think about pricing, it's really about positioning myself in a place where I can make a living, right? And, and the living that I want out of this business. Um, and I'm looking for the clients that can pay that, right? Like I'm looking for clients that can pay that amount. Um, there's a lot of different ways I could take this question, but I'll give you one where the place that I usually give advice for people getting started and just get kind of finding their way and they're getting some traction. Your first milestone, in my opinion, is to get to 10k a month. So you're looking to get maybe two to four, maybe five clients. Your your sweet spot probably be between three and five clients and your you're hitting 10K regularly with retainers, hopefully, where, where your your revenue's not all spiky throughout the year, where, where it's like, oh, I made $1,000 this month and $15,000 the next month, and then nothing the month after that. Instead, you're like sort of smoothing out a little bit. Um, and look to get to that 10K uh, by creating a, a productized style service and you know, providing that month after month after month—that's one of the cool things about what we do—is that content and copy bonfire constantly needs to be fed. If you find the right companies, they are starving for people that know how to create compelling, interesting, entertaining, inspiring content uh, and copy, and there's a never-ending need for it. You know, if you find the right businesses so just look out to where you're hunting right like if if you're talking to a lot of people that are like man i'm just rubbing my last two dimes together your pricing can't be premium a little more advice on that maybe if you if you i love working with companies that are doing around between 1 and 20 million in sales and have about 25 to 50 employees and i'll tell you why because those companies have, have traction, so they have money. They're in growth mode, right? They usually want to go to 10 million. You know, there might be at 3 million, they want to go to 10, or they're at 10, they want to get to 20, right? So they're in growth mode, and they're very willing to hire contractors instead of hiring employees. Right? So you also have to remember if you're on a $5,000 a month retainer with a client, that seems like a lot maybe to you. Like you're like, whoa, that person's paying me five grand a month to do this. But you have to remember that that's 60K per year. You can't hire hardly a green person out of college that that knows much for 60 grand. Uh, especially when you throw in benefits and all the things that you got to do when you're on a W-2. So you're replacing a head for them and you're coming in with training and experience that you're getting from Rob and everywhere else. Right. So you coming in with specialized knowledge and you're replacing an employee for them at 60 grand. They are willing to do that. Believe me. So when you think you can't get a 5K a month retainer and get three clients going like that, you're wrong. You can't. You study this stuff, practice it, execute it on your own website and other places, like get the experience and go out there and hunt for those size businesses. One to 20 million in sales, 50, 25, 50, 100 employees. They need you all day long. They have lots of copy and content needs. They are very willing to hire contractors instead of hiring employees. Uh, And I find my sweet spot right there.
0: Yeah, it's a that's a good place to live. Okay, so back when we started chatting, you know, we were going through sort of the the life story, Russ's um, journey. We stopped at Network Solutions, but today you run the Click. Tell us a little bit about uh, you know why you started the Click, what you're doing, the you know, and and your approach to your business uh, that you're running today.
1: The Click is my newsletter. And the reason it's so my business, my, the front end of my business, like the part that most people discover first is my email newsletter. And the reason is because what i found is that we're all trying to move people from where other channel they're on, whether it's, you know, watching us on YouTube or connecting with us on Instagram or TikTok or, you know, on the website where we're trying to get them on an email list because Email is where we make sales, but we can also push content out there. And so I made the decision to make my business publish email first. So email first publisher, it's The Click and uh, that's C-L-I-K-K. And what we do is we push out information about marketing, digital marketing, um, and we sell courses and I sell consulting. And I do some stage speaking and stuff like that through that brand. Um, but yeah, I started it uh, because um, everybody's trying to build an email list. And I was like, well, why don't I just start with the email list? <laughs> like, that's the first thing I'm doing. And then I can push people out wherever I want. I can push, if I want to launch a Facebook group, I can use the email list to do that. Right. If I want to do this, I, I use. So I, I'm still very, very. Uh, Interested in email uh, and and its power, it has this. It's it's sort of at this crossroads of content and copywriting. You can use email to send promotional emails. You can use email to send content, right? And you can build content that's sort of a hybrid where it's like hybrid content with some. I call it content with teeth, right? So it's content, but it's got some sales messaging in it. It's got some links in there to go buy stuff. Um, and I like living there and then I can use my email list to build other channels if I want to stand those up.
0: Yeah, I like that. Okay. So what's next for the click? You know, what are you, what are you excited about here in the next few months?
1: Well, I, what I see is AI, uh, you know, what I see is AI coming at the very bottom layer of, of the tactical things that we do as business people, but certainly as marketers, right? So it's, it's sort of, chopping off the very very bottom of what we used to do and replacing that and what i'm encouraging people to do is move up the chain in terms of the types of projects you're working on the sorts of information you want to be learning about and i think it's important right now to be learning about the strategy behind especially digital marketing um and balancing that with the tactics that you're learning for example if you're learning how to write a sales letter that's very, that's, that's valuable, very valuable. Do, but what I'm encouraging people to do is to understand the context in which that sales letter lives, that it lives within a larger campaign uh, that is designed to drive awareness, leads, sales, or retention. So about, I don't know, but two months ago, I launched a, a course called the Strategic Marketing Masterclass. Um, which is all about digital marketing strategy, um, and uh, that's what I'm excited about right now. I, I'm getting a lot of good feedback on that. People are understanding that messaging, um, but you know, a lot of people that are in copy and content um, don't really make the connection right away that they're in a marketing function. You know that that uh, you're not a writer as much as you're a marketer whose weapon is the written word, you know? So you're really a good writer, a good copywriter. You understand that's your weapon, but at, at the end of the day, you're on a, you're in a marketing function. And so it makes sense to me if, if you want to become more valuable and make more impact, uh, to learn the context in which your piece of marketing fits. And when you can bring that sort of knowledge to your clients, you'll get invited into bigger and better meetings, you know, so if you want to make bigger money, you need to be solving bigger problems, right? And the big problems are awareness, lead gen- sales, retention. So if you can come to them with that, like, I don't just write the sales letter. Yes, I do that. Yes, I do this. Yes, I do that. I do those things. But the bigger picture you understand, right? You understand the context in which leads are generated or sales are made. Retention is uh, increased that kind of thing. Uh, that's how you become more valuable, and yeah, that's what I'm talking about a lot at the Click right now.
0: That's awesome. I know we're out of time, uh, and appreciate everything that you've shared. I want to give people a chance to sign up for the Click. So tell us where to go, uh, how we connect with you, Russ. Um, you know all of the places where where we can find out more.
1: Well, like I said, I'm an email first publisher. If you want my stuff, uh, first go to the click that's C L I K -K com, and just register there. And you'll start, uh, getting my email. Usually if I'm not in a product launch or something like that, you'll probably hear from me once or twice a week. Um, but I'm also on LinkedIn, Russ Henneberry. And, um, that's another place where I publish fairly regularly. And, uh, really the only social channel where my brand, uh, you know, spends much time is on
0: LinkedIn right now. And as I mentioned, you know, if you, if you search for you, uh, you own a lot, a lot of stuff, uh, you know, on the search page. So, uh, impressive results. And obviously I think we can learn a lot from, from how you do work. So I, I appreciate you sharing so much Russ, and, uh, just, yeah, big thanks for, uh, for joining me today.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me on Rob.
0: That's the end of my interview with Russ Henneberry. I want to add just a couple of thoughts to what Russ and I were talking about. So you have maybe just a a few more things to think about. Uh, I I want to go back to that conversation we were having on AI's impact on search. I think this is critical. This is really eye-opening to me as Russ was talking. And I've had a little bit of time to think about it since. In fact, uh, before I was recording this in the Copywriter Club Facebook group, there was somebody who had posted a link to a petition that... uh, is all about getting AI companies to pay for the content that they spider and then feed into their models. And on the, you know, the the at the top of that, I, that sounds like a really good idea. Obviously, if we're creating content, we should be paid for it. But the risk here is that if we prevent AI companies from spidering our content because they're not paying for it, it's going into the model for free we are possibly removing ourselves from the results that the AI models can then present when people say, who is the copywriter that I should hire? And that's going to depend on, there's all kinds of parameters that go into that question. You know, are there copywriters here in the Baltimore area that I can hire? Are there copywriters who focus in on aviation or automotive or working with coaches or ed tech or, you know, whatever the industry is? Um, You know, are there copywriters who only help me with sales pages or, or email? And to, to the way that the AI models work is that, the parameters need to be connected to us through lots of different mentions. You know, Rob Marsh attached to the different things that I do, and your name attached to the different things that you do. And if it's not there, if it's not in the the parameters, the data that the AI models are using, then when somebody goes to search for who's the copywriter that I should hire your name is not going to come up but somebody else's will and so i think we really need to think through the ramifications of that i am not saying that absolutely we should not be paying writers for the content that they create and i'm not saying that we should necessarily give ai companies carte blanche to spider all of our content and put it into their systems but i do think that it's not as simple as an absolute you either pay me or you don't get my content Uh, Because there are some serious risks for being found at some point in the future, uh, when AI and AI models are the default search engines, as opposed to the way that, you know, models like Google and Bing, DuckDuckGo are set up today. So something to think about and consider. I love that Russ talked about selling as diagnosing. I remember you know talking with somebody at, at some point in the past where the idea came up that if you cannot diagnose as part of your sales call, then you are not an expert. It's the actual ability to diagnose a problem and suggest a solution that that takes you from amateur to expert. And when you understand things so well, that you can start to see as your client is talking about the challenges that they have, the problems that they have, the struggles that they have. It's your ability to, uh, you know, be able to analyze that and suggest proven solutions for those kinds of things that makes you an expert. All of our sales calls should be a process of diagnosing, which is why we go into depth on the questions that you need to be asking. We've talked about it on past episodes of the podcast. We go really deep in the copywriter accelerator, the exact questions that Kira and I ask. And in fact, our new copy course, uh, Copywriting Mastery, includes four different documents that help you go really, really deep with your clients on uh, the different things that you need to know about them as the expert or the provider of the solution, about the competitors, about the product that you're selling and about the people that you're selling to. Diagnosing comes from the asking the right questions. And so, you know, if if that's something you struggle with, be sure to look for Copywriting Mastery, which is our copy course that should be available soon. Um, And then Also, the importance of good content on your own platform. Obviously, we've been talking a lot about attracting clients and going where your clients are, you know, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, Facebook groups, whatever. But if that's the only place that we share good content... Uh, then people, uh, search engines in particular, possibly AIs, are not going to be finding them on our own platforms. And so, if you share good content in those places, you should also be copying it, reposting it onto your blog. I know that um, there's always concern about duplicate content, and if it shows up in one place and the exact copy shows up in another place, that's problematic. Google's actually pretty good about figuring that out now, knowing where it showed up first. Uh, you know, you can always add some disclaimers, you know, I shared this on LinkedIn, but I want to preserve it here. I want to share it with the readers on my own website who might have missed it there. You can do those kinds of things to try to avoid uh, any confusion. But if you're creating great content and sharing it with the world, you want to have it on a platform that you own. And that goes for email copy, that goes for social media copy, anything that you might be sharing out in the world, also share it on your own platform. So that, as we were talking about, you know, if if it gets spidered by AIs or if it gets uh, spidered by Google, people can find you where you are. Last thing I want to just mention is, you know, when when Russ mentioned that copywriters don't always follow the principles that we know uh, and that we teach to our clients that we use to actually help our clients do the things, we default into those same challenges, the same uh, approaches to talking about what we do that our clients do. And for some reason, we're really good at seeing it when our clients do it, and we're really bad at seeing it when we do it. I know, you know, it's been referred to as uh, the shoemaker without shoes, or that his children have no shoes, those kinds of things. Um, But, you know, we do need to be better at not talking about copy, not talking about the things that we write or the packages, but actually talking about the outcomes, the results that we that what we do produces, not the thing that we write, but the results that they that, that our customers our clients get we need to be asking about pain we need to be you know addressing those four problems those those four categories of problems awareness leads sales and retention that Russ mentioned and all problems really do fall into one of those four categories and we can specialize in those and Use that to our advantage to attract the right clients to our business um, by focusing on the marketing problems that we solve. So I know I've, I've talked enough about what Russ shared. I want to thank Russ for joining me to chat about his business. The best way that you can connect with Russ, as he mentioned, is to join his newsletter, The Click. To sign up, go to theclick.com. That's T-H-E-C-L-I-K-K.com. Be sure to check that out. And you know what else you should check out? You should check out the Copywriter Underground. I already told you all of the amazing things that it includes, the the coaching that you get, the critiques that you get, the community that's there. If you sign up this week, you'll be in, in time, I believe, for our next networking event, where you'll be introduced to a handful, maybe even a, as many as a dozen copywriters who will become your instant besties. And again, part of that network that is so important for helping you grow your business. Uh, The resources in the Copywriter Underground are amazing. Go to thecopywriterclub.com forward slash TCU to join that community. And that's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please, please, please leave us a review wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. Maybe that's on Spotify or Apple or Stitcher or somewhere else. That really just helps us understand that you do like the show. So that we will keep putting out more content, more podcast interviews like this one today with Russ that will help you in your business. And of course, don't miss our other podcasts at AI for creative You can find that on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.
1: Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Robs Copywriters Club that can make you lots of money.